Matthew, or sorry, Mark. Mark chapter 6, verses uh, 45 to 56. You'll notice on there, those are the parallel passages. You see something similar in Matthew 14, as well as in John 6. You'll see different uh, uh, versions of it, but we're going to stick to this one. They're all the same. They all say the same thing. Matthew adds some extra things that happen there that Mark doesn't include. So, but we're focusing on Mark 45 to 56. It's your God's word. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. Well, he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on land. He saw them, straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch at the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer. Or, in other words, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves, beyond measure, and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through the whole surrounding region, began to carry about on beds those who were sick, to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. By the way, last week we looked at the... Uh, the multiplication of the loaves, the green grass it mentions there. He's a shepherd on the green grass. Today is the water. What does that remind you of? Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. That's the multitudes, the feeding. And now he leads me beside the still waters. So many connections there, illusions. So that's our focus, verses 45 to, to 52. I encourage you to keep your Bibles, Bibles open because we're going to look at the, um, the verses themselves and just bring out who Christ is in all his glory. Hurricanes. Who doesn't know what a hurricane is? I don't know what a hurricane is. I've never lived in one. But many have gone through hurricanes. Terrible storms. Terrible destruction. We just heard about that in the Bahamas. But it is said... I've never experienced it, but that the eye of a hurricane or the center of a hurricane is calm. It's very quiet. The eye of the hurricane, however, is surrounded by a ring of powerful thunderstorms. And the ring is where the most severe weather is and also the, the howling severe winds as well. But in the center, in the midst, is the calm. And if we look at our text this morning, our text is verses 50b. Those words, be of good cheer, it is I. Don't be afraid. Here Jesus reveals himself to his disciples 
in the hurdles of life. You could say the storms of life. And the center, or the I in this phrase, is what? It is I, or literally, I am. The calm. Jesus is the center. But that center is surrounded by a ring of two strong commands. Trusting in him means we also hear his two strong commands. And what are those two commands? Those two commands in the midst of the storm. Take courage, on the one hand, and don't fear. That's the ring. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the, the furies in our lives sometimes that we experience. Jesus knows. He knows us. He knows the church. He's bought the church. He's bought his people with his own blood. And he knows that we're timid. We easily, easily become afraid. We easily run. We easily hide. We easily hide even from God's promises. We lack faith. We don't trust him. You know what? The fears of the culture. There are fears of the culture. There's the powers of those who are very strong in their unbelief. And they're like hostile powers against the church. And so often we just don't have the courage. We become afraid. And when that happens, we don't trust in him, the center, the I am. And that's the sad part. When our lives are ruled by fear and anxiety, there's no calm. There's no perseverance. But the Lord Jesus, in walking on the water, shows who he is. He is the great I am. And he's saying, take courage. Don't be afraid. And we're going to see three, three things in our passage this morning. Jesus is the center, so he's the one who tests his disciples. He's going to test their faith. Do they really trust him? That's what we see in verses 45 to 48. And then we're going to see that Jesus comes to them. 48 to 50. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He helps them. Verses 51 and 52. Look at verse 45 to 48. There we see Jesus testing them. Do the disciples really know how big Christ is? They have small thoughts about him. They don't realize, they don't understand how big he is. They witnessed, certainly they witnessed the power of God. They witnessed the power of Christ and the multiplying of the bread. Jesus had just instructed the disciples to take the, how many loaves of bread? Five loaves of bread, two fishes, and he asked the disciples, he commanded the disciples to, to distribute it among how many people? 5,000 men. And of women and children, there could have been 10,000. Okay? There was easily enough. It says all were filled, and all, all ate, and all were filled. All were satisfied. As a matter of fact, afterwards, how many baskets were left over? Well, the Lord intended to reveal himself in this sign, but they didn't get it. And now we read in verse 45, immediately after we read, immediately as he, Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat 
Go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitudes away. The question is, why did Jesus make, that's a very strong word here, why did he make his disciples get into the boat? It wasn't their choice, it wasn't their desire. He made them. He made them go into the boat before him to the other side. Why? I mean, the word made, there's a sense of urgency here. Uh, Jesus compelling them, not forcing, but very strongly, go. He made them go into the boat. Why? I think we have a hint right in the passage itself. Look at the end of Mark chapter 6, verse 52. There Jesus gives a hint, or there Mark gives a hint as to why he sends them away. They had not understood about the loaves. We'll get into that in a second, but there's a hint there. They did not understand about the loaves. There's another hint, which we read from John chapter 6, a parallel passage. We come to know that the crowds also misunderstood Jesus and his mission. According to John 6 verse 15, the crowds whom he led... They were about to come and take Jesus by force and make him king. You know what? These crowds were only using Jesus for their own material gain, for their own purposes. And they were swelling with enthusiasm because they wanted Jesus for their own purposes. People do that today too. People um, people, you know, we ought to pray and worship Jesus for who he is, that he is all glorious. But people tend to pray, there are people today who pray and worship Jesus not because he's all glorious but because they want money they want health, they want wealth, and they want health. So they're not worshiping Jesus for who he is, but they worship Jesus because this is what they want for themselves. They want, they want good health, and they want lots of money, and so they worship him for that person. They're using him. And you know what? That made Jesus very, very sad. And if you look at the last part of Mark chapter 6, when Jesus was doing miracles... Jesus, by these miracles, miracles are not reality in themselves. They're signs. They're signs that point to the reality. They point to Jesus. Jesus wanted to point the people to himself. But there are so many people who go to Jesus because they don't want Jesus. They want miracles. They want the signs and wonders. They want health and wealth. And that's why Jesus prays. How Jesus suffered. You know, people need to repent of that. People need to repent of coming to Jesus just because they're using him for their own benefits. Jesus suffered. How he must have suffered. That people misunderstood him. The crowds misunderstood him. And so what does he do? He sends the disciples away. And then he sends away the multitudes. And after he sends away the multitudes, what does he do? He departed to the mountain to pray. All alone. All alone to pray. 
you know, was a big temptation. Don't forget, Jesus was also truly man. It was a huge temptation for Jesus to become popular with the people. Because by becoming popular with the people, you get lots and lots of people. It was a huge temptation. He must have prayed for himself, for strength, for strength from his Father to resist that temptation. He was tempted to avoid the cross, to avoid the suffering. He was tempted to get the crown right away without the cross. He must have been. And he must have prayed to the Father, especially for his own disciples. They were not even understanding who he is. You read in John chapter 6, he says to his disciples, you're going to leave me too? You don't know me either? Jesus prays. He prays. He suffers. Because people don't know him. People are not receiving him the way he is revealing himself. But you know what? As Jesus is praying, don't separate that picture of his prayer on the mountain and the storm on the sea and the disciples. Don't think that Jesus doesn't know what's going on. He knows everything that's going on, even though he's not in the boat with them. Look at verse 47. When evening came, the boat was where? In the middle of the lake, in the middle of the sea. And he was alone on the land. And then it says, then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. His disciples are where? In the middle of the lake. According to John 6, it was about five kilometers into the sea. It's night. It's dark. The waves are boisterous. The sea is rough. But notice what verse 48 says. Jesus sees them. And you're thinking, what? Five kilometers away? <laughs> and it's night? Jesus sees them. He knows. He sees us. He's, as a matter of fact, he's still interceding for us from heaven at the right hand of God. He sees. He sees them. In spite of all the darkness. He sees them straining. He sees them struggling. He sees them toiling at rowing. He sees them in their troubles. The wind is against them. What a picture, right, of the Christian life. The life of the church and the world. You know, the headwinds of unbelief, the headwinds of hostile powers against Christ, against the Bible. It's a straining, isn't it? It's a straining. And we need to move forward by faith. By the grace of God and by the strength of His Spirit. You know, the disciples are not disobeying Jesus. He, they're doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. To go. And to go to the other side. They're not straying from the path of God's will. What's he doing? What's Jesus doing? What do we see Jesus doing here? His path for them lays through the storm. He brings them into the storm. It's Jesus who does that. So that they can get to the shore on the other side. But getting to the shore on the other side means that they're also going to go through the storm. It may look like that Jesus had forgotten them in their hardships. 
I mean, he's taking so long to answer. They're alone. It's night. They're struggling. But has Jesus forgotten them? No. He sees everything. He knows. The storm did not come by chance. Neither do hard things come into our lives by chance. Hard things don't come into the church by chance. It's not from Satan. Sometimes people say, oh, that came from Satan. That's not true. Satan is not God. Satan is also controlled by God. No. These things can come from God himself. And God never makes any mistakes in our lives. Never does. His purposes are always wise, always good. And that's what we see here too. What's Jesus doing? He's not just playing with them. No, he's testing them. He's testing his disciples because they did not come to know him as he revealed himself in the lows. They had misunderstood the lows. They did not see how really big, how big he really is. They didn't see how small their problems really are in light of his bigness. They didn't see how much they can really trust him. You know what? The tendency for them, and sometimes for people today too, Christians, they'll see Jesus as a man only, but with a lot of God powers. That's not true. Jesus was not just a man with a lot of God powers and divine powers. No. He is truly man. But he's at the same time God. He's fully man, 100% man, 100% God. And there in John chapter 6, we know that he reveals himself as whom? As the bread who has come from heaven in the flesh. True God, true Son of God, who has come down, the bread from heaven in the flesh. John 6 verse 41. And then you read on, and it says that he gives himself for the life of the world. The disciples did not understand that. They need to come to know him, trust him. And Jesus tests them so that they may come to know more fully who he is. Faith was there, but they didn't see how big Christ was. And they're encouraged, Christ is encouraging them through this test to come to know who he really is in the midst of troubles. And that brings us to the second point. <clears throat> Verse 48, 49 and 50. <clears throat> Jesus comes to them. You see that? About the fourth watch in the night. When's the fourth watch of the night? The fourth watch in the night for the Jewish timing was three to six in the morning. So that's a, that's a lot later. <laughs> the disciples probably weren't expecting this, but three or four o'clock in the morning. That's the fourth watch of the night. And then we read, he came to them walking on the sea. And he would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost. And they shrieked. That's the sense there. They sh- I mean, if you were to see something evil, right? You tend to shriek. Or sometimes, you know, fantasy or imagination works. You scream. They all saw him and were troubled. Notice, Jesus comes to them. This is God coming to them. 
He said he would, in verse 45. Remember, he said, you go before me. <laughs> there was a promise there. It's implied that he's going to meet them. But how does he come to his disciples? By walking on the water. You believe that? That he was walking on the water? I hope you do, because the Bible says so. He was walking on the water. It's not true that he was walking in shallow water, you know, maybe up to his knees. It doesn't say that here. He was walking on the water. The same word is there on the land beforehand. It's the same kind of phrase, on the water. He's walking on top of the waves. Well, some will say, yeah, but really he was walking beside the water on the shore. That's not what it says. He came to them walking on the sea. That's what he says here. He came to them walking on the sea. Why did Jesus walk on the sea? To reveal who he is to his disciples. To show himself, to show how big he really is. He wants to show his glory. Let's stop here for a moment. You remember when Moses asked God, show me your glory. And what did God say to Moses on the mountain? He said, I will pass by you, but you cannot see my face. I will pass by you, and you will see all my goodness as, you, as I pass by you. Jesus was going to pass by. He wants to reveal his glory, that he's king. He's God. The very thing they're afraid of is the very thing he controls. The walking on the water shows that. Job 9, verse 8. You see a similar phrase there in Job, in the book of Job. There it talks about how God is able to make the ways of the sea a path for his feet. It was no trouble for Jesus. He just walked on top. If you look at the larger context, Job 9, 1 through 8, there it talks about how God can do what man cannot do and never conceive of doing. It's God who moves mountains. It's God who shakes the earth. It's God who obscures the sun. It's God who arrays the heavens in splendor and treads, it says, and treads on the waves of the sea. There he is, God. The majestic God reveals his glory in his Son, Jesus Christ, truly man, truly God. That's who he is. Wow, how majestic he is. He came to them. He came to them. He comes to them ready to sit with them on the boat as he walks on the sea. Oh, he would have passed them by, but he wants them to call on him. He wants them to welcome him. But they don't. They don't. Can you imagine? The disciples don't even welcome him. You see such a lack of faith when we read here. Instead, when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost. I think in Punjabi it says, Ooh, is that spirit? spirit? But here it says ghost. And they scream, they shriek. 
It was very haunting for them. Middle of the night. They fear the ghost is catching up with them and is intending to harm them. You know what? Superstition. That's what it is. Just plain old superstition. That's not trust. That's not the trust that Christ was looking for from his own disciples. And that's one of the big things that causes fear in people today. Sometimes Christians in churches can be very superstitious. We know what superstition is about. Black magic. Strings. Holy water. Superstition. Oils. Superstition. Or... Your destiny in the stars? Superstition. What Christ calls us to do? To repent of that? Or to turn away from those things? That's not trusting. That's not trusting in Christ. Wow, if you're involved in any of these or any other superstitious practices, you need to repent of these practices. Turn away from them. Because if we don't, the, there is no peace, really. There's continual fear, continual concern and anxiety. Jesus calls us to come to him, to turn to him in faith, fully trusting in him. Come to know him, his power, the power of his grace and the power of his care. Notice Jesus comes. He comes to them. Even though they're, not even at, they're not even asking for him. They're not even praying. It's not even that they're not praying right. Sometimes people say, well, I'm not praying right, so I don't think God hears me. But they're not even praying. They're not even calling out to him. They just scream. And so, two things about these disciples. They're superstitious. And in verse 52, they're hard-hearted. Wow. And yet, we wonder, why should Jesus come to them? Why? Because it's his own. They're his sheep. They're his people. He is so tender in his compassion. No darkness. No lack of faith. No storm. No waves can keep Jesus away from coming to people whom he loves and gives his life for. Shouldn't that encourage trust? Always. We should look at ourselves and say, am I doing this enough? Am I doing that enough? And this enough? No. He simply says, trust. That's the message here. Trust him. And they weren't doing that. His disciples were so dear to him. The one they think to be a ghost comes to them. He talks with them. Yeah, he talks to us today through the Bible. See verse 50? Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. What is this? It's just, it's just the grace of God in Christ Jesus. His riches at Christ's expense. I mean, what patience Christ has with his disciples. What forbearance. Long-suffering. But... He loved them. He loved them. He loves his own. 
even when they were not even looking for him. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He does look for a response of faith, though. He does say, even though you're not doing these things right, even though you're not calling out to me, because I am looking for one thing. I'm looking for faith. A response of faith. And you see Jesus confronting them. He speaks to them. He confronts them with his word. It is I. It is I. I am. By saying those words, he's looking for a response. Literally, he's saying, yeah, translated, it literally says, I am. Jesus is the great I am. Recall the story of Moses in the wilderness? God's people were in great need. They were enslaved to the Egyptians. They were enslaved to sin and bondage to sin. And God identifies himself. He speaks to Moses. When? After he demonstrates himself, his power in the burning bush. Notice that, a nature miracle. Christ just did a nature miracle too, the multiplying of the bread, the stilling of the water. After God demonstrates himself and shows who he is in the burning bush, he goes to Moses and he says, this is my name. I am who I am. I am has sent me to you. You go and tell the people that. You tell the people, my people Israel, I am has sent me to you. I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to a land flowing with milk and honey. And now here Jesus identifies himself. After doing a powerful miracle, a miracle of nature, multiplying the bread, and now walking on the sea. Listen, I will bring you to the other side. Didn't I say it? Don't look to other things. You look to me. Trust me. The one who comes to them is the I am. And why can you trust him? Because he is committed to his people. He is committed. He will help them. He will never leave. He will never forsake his people. And that brings us finally to the third point, 51-52. How does he help them? Well, the first thing Jesus does is what? He goes into the boat with them. <laughs> That's the first thing he does. He steps into the boat with them. And immediately when, he's, when the boat, he steps into the boat, what happens? The wind stops. The wind ceases. Notice that? In him, there is great calm. Like the center of a hurricane. He's the one who calms the waters. And what that also means is that he also calms the fears and anxieties within. That's where, that's the real storms, right? Sometimes our lives are so filled with anxieties and fears. Jesus says, repent of that. Turn away from that. It's time to stop. I love you. Trust my love. Trust me. I am the I am. Come to me. He calms the waters. He calms the fears. Psalm 23, 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. He leads me beside the still waters. Isaiah 43, verse 2. We hear these words. When you pass through the waters, God says, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they're not going to sweep over you. You know, the response shows they now realize who Jesus is. How do we know that? 
Look at 51. They were greatly amazed in themselves, beyond measure, and marveled. They got it. They get it. As a matter of fact, you read Matthew's version, it says, and they worshiped God. <laughs> That's what it says there. It doesn't say that here. But there it says, and they worshiped God. It's amazing. They understood. They got it. You know, and sometimes in the test of life, the Lord wants to encourage us in our faith, grow in our faith, and come to know him more and more fully. Because he knows us. He really greatly desires for us to know him. Verse 52 goes on to explain why. Why they're greatly amazed. Because they did not understand about the lows. And why didn't they understand about the lows? Because their hearts were not receptive. Their hearts were hardened. You see, the trouble was not with Jesus. Sometimes we blame God. But no. Jesus all the time was there, revealing himself, talking to them, revealing who he was to his disciples, the multiplying of the bread and the fish, and now on the waters. But the problem is, they're not responding. They're not responding in faith. They were of little faith. The trouble was with their hearts. What was wrong with their hearts? Their hearts had become hardened. That's why there was so much fear and anxiety. Ouch. Think about that. When there's fear and anxiety that doesn't show faith, that doesn't reflect faith. By the way, these are things we have to struggle with daily, isn't it? Daily. But it's a reminder, isn't it? to turn away from those things, to repent of those things, and turn to Christ. You have Christ, you have everything. Even if, even if outside of the miracle of regeneration, if there's no other miracle that ever happens to you, if you have Christ, you have everything. That's what he's showing here. Praise God for his death and resurrection. Why? Because it's by his death and resurrection that he opens our eyes to see. He opens our hearts to receive. He opens our ears to hear. Wow. By his resurrection from the dead, Christ can overcome those sins in our lives, that unbelief in our lives. He overcomes fears in our lives. It's all rooted in that. Think about why he died. Because he want to put those things to death. Those fears, those anxieties. And he wants us to find peace and calm in him. By God's grace. He does all these things for us. He simply calls us to trust. And by his spirit, John 16, he is our helper today. His spirit who gives us strength along the way across the sea. He brings calm. Through faith in him, we may come to know him and trust him in every difficulty of life. Jesus is saying, don't. Stop it. Don't. Stop being, stop being afraid. Hey, boys and girls, should we be afraid? No. Who said yes? Should we be afraid? No. No. We should not be afraid. Are we afraid, though? Yeah. Yeah. You just ask my wife if I'm sometimes afraid. I am too. But it's not right. We're to turn away from it. Trust in Christ. That's the, the message here. He is the great I am. And to all his enemies who want to harm his people, the gray I am is a, is a terrifying presence. It's terrifying. 
Ask the Egyptians. Ask the Egyptians in Moses' day. In our fears, what do we do? We sometimes hide. We sometimes run away. We become troubled. It's so opposite of trust. As James says, we are like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. There's no calm in that. And Jesus comes to you and to me saying, I am. Two words. That's sufficient. I am. That means you can take courage. You don't need to be afraid. Wow. He comes with the promise of forgiveness and peace to all who trust in him. And he gives you the strength by his spirit, our help to strain forward by faith. Take courage. Don't fear. He even intercedes at the right hand of God for his people today. When we see the greatness of God's grace toward us, we find the strength to serve. We find the strength to persevere to the praise of his name. When you're tempted to give up, remember that he has given you so many proofs of his power and love in your life. The great I am is with you. And he will bring you to the shore on the other side. Just as he promised his disciples. But trust him. Amen.